thank you. Right, Jesus, our only hope, is what we're going to continue to look at this morning. And uh, I'd like you to turn with me, please, to John chapter 4. It's rather a long reading, but there's a whole incident that's worth um, spending a bit of time looking at together. So John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, that sort of noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank it from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit. And in truth, the woman said, 
I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then declared Jesus, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Well, that's enough, isn't it? (laughs) It's just great. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Wonderful. Um, I... I don't know whether this story is true. I was told it was true, so I always believe when people say it's true. Um, A a friend of mine said that, a friend of his, a friend of a friend of a friend, um, was invited to a wedding. And um, this was going back, back in the dark ages, sort of about like when I was around. And, um, well, I'm still around, but, you know, like when I was young. And um, it used to be the, the custom that if you couldn't get to a wedding, you used to send a telegram some of us will know what a telegram is. Um, the telegram was, it was like, it was, it, you, you sort of phoned up the, the post office and you, you dictated a message to them and then it was typed out and it would be sent by special courier to wherever you sent it to. It was a bit expensive, but on a wedding, that was a great thing to do. So the best man would get up at the reception and he'd read some cards that had come and any telegrams. You always wanted a telegram, special telegram. Well, this guy was invited to a wedding but couldn't go, and he thought, well, this is a Christian guy that, you know, greetings to them, but it's a bit expensive, so you have to pay per word for a telegram. So he thought, well, I'll make it as short as I can. So he said, he just put on it, dear Bob, Bob and Mary, whatever it was, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Because he thought, well, what can I say? And it's lovely. He said, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There's no fear in love, 
but perfect love drives out fear. So, you know, if you're nervous, this is the day of your wedding, you know, and you're thinking, you know, of all that's going to come and all that stuff. So, so that would be a lovely verse. Perfect love drives away fear. And so he just put that, he just put, Dear Bob and Mary, 1 John, chapter 4, verse 18, love, Jim. Because that was his name. I don't know if it was. Anyway. So, but the person on the other end of the phone, when he dictated the message, just got it slightly wrong and just forgot the one off the one John bit. So he just put John chapter 4, verse 18. And so the, so the best man stood up at the, <laughs> at the wedding reception and said, oh, oh um, Jim sent you a message and it says, the fact is, you've had five husbands <laughs> and the man you now have is not your husband. <laughs> which has got absolutely nothing to do with what I want to say to you now. Um, the point that I want to make this morning um, is how personally tailored the gospel of Jesus can be to each individual. We'll look at this specific conversation or encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman in a moment and there may be elements in that that you can identify with either in your personal faith journey where you are either maybe just outside the kingdom of God you've not yet made that decision to give your life to Jesus you may be just somewhere around there or you may be somebody who you're wanting, you, you, you already know Jesus as your saviour and you're wanting to introduce other people to him. So there, I think there's something for both of us here this morning to, to learn from this. But before we get to this particular story, I want to set out two basic principles that are so important for us to appreciate at whatever stage we are. And the first principle is this. God made and knows each person intimately. Some of you are very familiar with Psalm 139. And it's a great psalm. It's it's a wonderful psalm that talks about how intimately God knows um, the psalmist initially, but then anyone who... Uh, loves God, is following God. Just, it's wonderful. And this is what he says, the psalmist says in verse 13 of that psalm, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now I know I've shared this in one or two groups over the past few weeks, but I was spending some time sort of just meditating in Psalm 139, and I'd noticed in that verse something that I'd not noticed before, ever. Because I'd always thought, well, you knit me together in my mother's womb. So I just imagined, you know, little old me in my mother's womb, this tiny little fetus, can you imagine that? And, you know, all, that God was sort of making my fingers and my toes, and, you know, like you see on these little photographs you get now, these scan things. I just thought... Just imagine that God was doing that. But actually, when I looked at this, what I saw it said, it was my inmost being that was being formed in my mother's womb. Not just my physical being, but my personality, my character. God knows me. He knows the uniqueness of who I am, which is an amazing thing when you think of it, that God knows you that well. 
Not just how you were physically made. You came into the world physically and emotionally neutral, if you like, and then whatever you were taught and how the circumstances that you grew up made you into the person that you are. But actually there was something about you that God created right from the start. Something about your character, about your personality that made you the unique person that you are. Isn't that amazing? Okay, well, I think it was amazing. So, and that brings me on to the second basic principle, is that God knows everything about you. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, the fact, that fact can be, at the same time, extremely scary and extremely comforting. The fact that God knows everything about you. Nothing in your life is hidden from him. The things that you choose to keep secret, the things that, are, that you do in secret when no one else is around, or the things that you think or the things you feel, God knows everything. So that um, there's nothing that I can tell God as I come to him that he doesn't already know. So sometimes, you know, sometimes in prayer meetings or in prayer, you come to God and you think you've, you've really grasped some great theological point and you just, you know, you just tell God that you've dis- how wonderful this is. I've discovered this. You know, and God sits on his throne and says, I know I know. <laughs> it's like, you know, Lord, I need to tell you something about my life. I know. But you need to know how, this, how I feel about this. I know, I know. And that's not, to, that's not to dismiss you. Of course, he wants you to tell him those things. But you need to know that he knows. Nothing is hidden from him. Everything is laid bare before him. And so when we come to the life of Jesus... We find these two basic principles that God made and knows each person intimately and God knows everything about you. We find these two basic principles beautifully demonstrated in the way that he um, identifies with and deals with the individual people he meets day by day. The healings, the deliverances and conversations are often extremely personal and intimate, perfectly tailored to the individual that he's dealing with. You read some of the, some of the occasions where Jesus deals with individuals and see the beautiful per, personal touches. You've heard me mention before, I love the, one, the healing of the deaf man, where it says that Jesus took him away from the crowd and he looked him in the face and he touched his ears, and he touched his tongue. And there was, there was something in that. Let's come away from the crowd. I want to just deal with you. I want to show you. Yes, I know about your ears, and I know that you can't speak. And he touches his tongue, and he looks up to heaven, and is just effectively saying to him in sign language, God will heal your ears and will touch your tongue and give you the ability to speak. It's beautiful, 
beautifully put, and he doesn't do that, you know, on a big stage in front of thousands. He takes him away from the crowd and deals with him personally. And over and over again, you see that as you read through the life of Jesus, how he does this. So he can move from speaking to a vast crowd of thousands that uh, Terry mentioned last week, the feeding of the 5,000. He can move from that sort of scenario to the personal, intimate details of a woman who has been hemorrhaging for years, or a demonized boy, or a distressed family whose young daughter has died, or a despised tax collector up a tree. And so it goes on. And to each one, the good news is the same. If Essentially, it's the same gospel you like it's the same material but it's tailored to meet those individuals in a beautiful beautiful way so now we come to John chapter 4 and we have here a, a, a lovely example of Jesus dealing with someone so precisely that matches her personality and her circumstances and her situation. And I think from this, we can learn, either if you're, if you're somebody that's questioning and you're on the, if you like, feeling a bit sort of on the edge of stuff and you're not quite into the family of God, not quite into the kingdom of God, it could be for you. This, let this speak to you. Or if you are wanting to introduce people that you know, friends of yours, colleagues, uh, neighbours, whatever, you want to introduce them to the God that you know, there are some principles, there are some lessons to learn from the way that Jesus deals with this lady, this Samaritan lady. So here are the things. First of all, notice in the first few verses, if you've got a Bible there, it will be quite helpful to you, I think. But in the first six verses we see that Jesus turns his back on religious controversy and spends time with a person. It says there that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And so, although the fact was that Jesus wasn't baptizing people, his disciples were, but it says when Jesus learned of this, he walked away from it. You know, there's lots of stuff, you know, Religious controversies, debatable points. You know, you you get it everywhere. You can get it when you're talking to non-believers. You can get it when you're talking to believers. You know, sometimes even like within a life group situation, getting these intense debates about this and that and this and that. It's interesting that Jesus walks away from this controversy about religion and speaks to this individual woman. Because that's where his heart is. It's for people. It's for people. It's not for issues. It's for people. So he turns his back on that. And then he, in verses 7 to 9, he initiates the conversation on a human level. Some of you, we, you've looked at this before and you know this stuff, so I'm sorry about that, but everything's worth repeating and remembering. He initiates the conversation on a human level. In other words, he sits down at the well. He knows what the well's for. He knows why people come to the well. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. He wants to drink. Just, it just starts a conversation. 
and just says to this woman, um, would, would you just give me a drink, please? There's no doubt that there is a uniqueness about Jesus. I think there could be a glint in his eye as he begins this conversation. If he knows this woman, he knows her circumstances, as we shall see a bit later on. He knows what's gone on in her life. He knows who she is, where she's come from, and all that stuff. But he begins with, could you give me a drink of water, please? Just starts the conversation on a human level. He already knows about her, but he starts to make her comfortable. He starts to make her welcome. That's our job. You know, if you're a herald of the kingdom of God, your job, first of all, is to make people feel comfortable with you, to know that you're the sort of person they can talk to, the sort of person that's interested in their life. And you're not just interested in their life so that you can preach at them, you are genuinely interested in them as a person. How many of you have been in a conversation when someone says to you, how are you? And you start to tell them, and you see that sort of glazed look go over their face, or they start looking over your shoulder at the next person that they want to have a conversation with. And you think, why did you ask me? You weren't really interested. So the first thing we can learn is that Jesus was genuinely interested in this lady. He made contact with her on this human level. And she's surprised at this. Nobody ever listened to me before. Nobody ever did this before. And if you know anything of the background of this, you know that she was probably um, considered to be not a very nice person. It's usually said that that's why she was at the well in the middle of the day, because it was so hot, and nobody else would go out at that time. She, She went there because she knew there'd be no one there to make fun of her or to shun her or whatever. So she was surprised. She was surprised that Jesus, a man, would talk to a woman in public that he didn't know. She was surprised that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan on all sorts of levels. She was just so surprised that this person would take an interest in her life. Some of us need to learn the lesson of just being interested in people enough to listen to them and to try and understand and sympathise the circumstances of their life. And notice that we're not even into apologetics and arguments and debates about faith yet. Here we're seeing this fact that the woman's interest is sparked simply because Jesus has noticed her and put aside cultural conventions and made conversation with her. Counts for a lot, folks. You know, I, I, I love, you know, I enjoy apologetics. I, I, I love, you know, debating and reasoning and arguing the point and stuff like that. But that isn't how I came to know Jesus. I have to say, the thing that convinced me was I was introduced to a church, to a bunch of people, and I saw something in them that I wanted peace, sense of purpose in their lives. They made me feel welcome and accepted and loved. And I just felt, whatever it is you've got, that's what I want. And I didn't need to be argued into the kingdom of God. 
came very happily. And after that, the apologetics began. What have I got myself into? You know, and you know, can you explain this? I don't understand that. Can you answer this question? But I didn't have to have all the questions answered before I came. It was because someone showed an interest in me. Someone loved me. Someone accepted me. Someone made me welcome. Someone listened to me. It was amazing. So now, the conversation becomes strange, I think, weird, from verse 10 down to verse 14. What I mean is that Jesus now initiates what becomes an odd conversation where he's saying one thing and she seems to be hearing another. Have you ever had one of those conversations, husbands and wives? You know, I'm just sort of, my wife is saying one thing and I'm hearing something completely different. And we just have this conversation. And it it reminds me of, you know, the warming up before a tennis match. You know, I've watched a tennis, oh, I wonder how he's doing. Anyway, um, you you get the sort of warming up session and the the players are in position and they're, they're hitting balls across the net but they're not hitting them to each other. So they're bashing them away and they're going all over the place. And some conversations are like that, aren't they? You're sort of knocking your bit over and what's coming back has got absolutely nothing to do with what I just said. You may have been in those sorts of situations. And this, is, this is, seems to be what's going on here. Jesus is saying one thing and the woman is hearing something else. But Jesus doesn't allow himself to be distracted away from his objective. He knows where he wants to get this lady to. He wants to introduce her to God. Um, So she talks about history, the practicalities of how to get the water out of the well, about buckets and ropes, etc., no doubt. Uh, And Jesus doesn't tell her, For goodness sake, woman, don't be so stupid and shut up and listen to me because I've got some good news for you. That isn't his attitude. So they have this interesting, weird conversation. He knows her and he knows where he wants to get her to. It's patience. Oh, that's topical. And then, verse 15, she sees something in Jesus. Perhaps it's his demeanour. John doesn't give us a real description, no sort of physical description of, you know, Jesus, did he smile at this point? But I just imagine that there was perhaps this sort of glint in his eye as he listens to her and thinks, okay, you just, let's talk about this, we'll talk about this, but I'm, I'm going to ask you something in a minute. Just let's work towards this. Maybe his demeanour, the fact that he has time for her, the fact that he doesn't dismiss her out of hand, gets his attention, her attention. So she begins to ask him for what he has. She says um, in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this, this water that you're talking about um, that so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to this well. It's like, so it's like she's sort of got it, but she hasn't got it. You know, she's nearly there. And then Jesus goes beyond, beneath the surface of what's, what's going on here. So in verse 16, he says, go and call your husband. <laughs> oh, tricky. And so he, he says that, touches on the reality of this woman's life and shows her that he knows all there is to know. Now, of course, you and I, if we were trying to 
introduce someone to God, we probably wouldn't, be, we wouldn't have the information that Jesus has here. But what he's doing, and we, I think we can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, begin to perhaps ask questions. You know, you have to earn someone's trust and respect before you get to this point, don't you? You don't start ploughing into a conversation straight off. But you, could, you can just sort of say, can I just ask you a question? You know, how has your life, you know, how is this touching you? You know, do you, you know, anything that I'm saying to you about God, does that, does that resonate with you in some way? You know, we can do that, can't we? And people are free to say, mind your own business. I mean, I often say that to people. Please tell me to mind my own business if you don't want, but can I just ask you this? And if it goes further, that's fine. If it doesn't, okay. You don't have, we don't have permission to go treading all over people's personal details. But Jesus manages to do that with this lady. He shows her that he, that he knows all there is to know. And knowing all there is to know, he still is interested in her. He loves her. He's concerned for her. And then in verses 19 to 20, she thinks, it seems, that Jesus is just into religion and churchy stuff. So she sort of thinks, oh, we've got a religious people person here. So she starts off, I can see that you're a prophet and our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews claim to be blah, 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 blah. And they get into this, you know, the sort of conversations you can get into. You know, people sort of say, oh, yeah, you're sort of, oh, you're religious, are you? You're into religion. Let's talk, about, let's talk about religions. Let's talk about different religions. Let's talk about different churches and different denominations and different labels. And let's talk about, let's talk about Anglican lady bishops. Or let's talk about, you know, what can we talk about? Let's talk about same-sex marriage. Let's talk, let's talk about churchy stuff. And it's sort of, the danger is that the conversation just stays in that place. It's not a bad thing to talk about those things, but that's not where you just want to get to in the end, is it? You, it can just get, you know, let's have another interesting debate. Let's have a Christian debating society. Let's talk about this issue. Let's talk about that issue. And, you know, those sort of things can go on for years and get you nowhere. So this lady, she picks up on the sort of churchy stuff or religion stuff, but Jesus is not talking about that. And he's talking about her. How many times do you have to, when people say to you, oh, I see, so I don't want to know about God, because God, isn't this the God that tells people to go and slaughter people? Isn't this the God that does this and that and you know, causes conflict? What about Northern Ireland? What about the stuff that goes on in the Middle East? Isn't, that's religion, isn't it? And Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the God who made you and loves you and wants to draw you into himself. It's a different sort of thing. He answers her religious questions in 21 to 26, but he quickly steers the conversation to the fact that she needs to come to God to embrace the truth and to have her life invaded by God's spirit. And in so doing, he makes it clear who he is and that he's the one she needs in her life. 
And then just at the end, nearly finished, in verses 27 to 38, that, that long section there, we're reminded of where and why this conversation started. So the disciples turn, return with the, the food or whatever, and they're sort of saying, what's he doing talking to this woman? What's going on here? And Jesus says to them, I have food that you know nothing about. He's like saying, mate, just what I've been doing, this conversation I've just been having, lads, this is my food. This is what I love doing. This is what I love doing. I've sat with this woman while you've been out buying fish and chips. I've been back here doing what I love doing. This is so gratifying. This is so satisfying. Talking to this lady, finding out about her life and introducing her to the living water, to introducing her to the invasion of the Spirit of God into her life. This is, this is what I love doing. And then he says, look, it's like a harvest field, guys. Look, this woman, she's just like part of a harvest field. Look at these guys coming out now from the, from the town because of what she's told them. This is a harvest field. There's loads of them out there. He said, this is what we've come, this is what I'm here for, this is what I've come for, this is what it's about. It's about introducing people to God. So conclusion, where have we come to at the end of all this? The first thing I want to say then is simply, if you are attempting to introduce someone to God, Take some practical tips from the master. He knows how to do it better than you do. You know, you may have got your little manual of how to witness for Jesus. You know, you may have got all your, you know, all your memory verses all tanked up inside you and all the rest of it. But take some tips from the master. It's, it's beautiful. He is just wonderful. Don't you think? Jesus, our only hope. It's what, it's, well. And if you're one of those who've not quite got there yet, you're one of those ones, Chris, actually when I'm listening to you, I can see what these people are doing. These people that are meeting with me and talking to me and, and you guys standing up there week after week going on about this stuff. I can see, I can see, I can see what you're doing, I can see where you're coming from. It's okay, you know, we're not secretive about this. We want you to know God. We want you to come into the kingdom of God. We love it. You know, you saw the other week when a few folks came up and said they'd given their lives to Jesus, the place erupts into applause. Yeah, it's like, we got one. No, it's, it's, it's not quite like that. But we, we are genuinely thrilled when that happens because, because it's what we've found and it's, it's what means everything to us, really. So if you're one of those who's not quite got there, Know this, God knows you. God knows all about you, your personality. He knows your character. He knows your circumstances. And the gospel, the good news about Jesus is for you. It is for you. It is tailor-made for you. You may have your questions and arguments. That's okay. 
But don't let those things divert or distract you away from the reality of this remarkable man who came to be the saviour of the world and therefore your saviour. Let's pray together.